If you'd like to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 for our second reading, page 1192, if you're following in the Pew Bibles. First Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 to 7. Here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And we end our reading at verse 7. May God bless His Word to us. Over these next two Sundays, uh, today and next Sunday, God willing, I want us to look at leadership, uh, specifically eldership in the congregation. In terms of process of how this works within the Presbyterian Church, uh, I will preach And then next week, there's little nomination slips that are available. Uh, Please do take one with you. Uh, If your name is on the voters list, which is out in the foyer there, or indeed the Mackay Hall, you are entitled to vote or be voted for. Uh, The names that are highlighted in red are the names of elders or elders emeritus, so do not nominate them. They're already uh, elders, so please don't nominate them. It's kind of a wasted nomination if, if you do that. And uh, then after, after that, a couple of weeks, we'll give you a couple of Sundays to do that. And then uh, the session, we'll, we'll look at the names, the names that are occurring most frequently. We will pray over those names and over the lists, and then bring to the congregation uh, the names that we, we feel uh, are appropriate for, for, the, for the session. Uh, there will be a congregational meeting at that congregational meeting. Uh, the congregation has to pass those names by at least two-thirds majority. And that being the case, then there's a period of instruction where I meet with the elders. Um, we hopefully ordain, install, hopefully before the summer, uh, May, June time all being well. So that's the kind of process uh, that we have going, going forward. The session uh, want us to be prayerful. Uh, over these next few weeks and to think about who we uh, could uh, be nominating. We recognize that Highkirk is a large church. Uh, We're looking for a Kirk session of around 24 elders, including myself. We feel that's a good number, small enough to make decisions well, uh, but also large enough to oversee, because that's what we're to do. We are to oversee the congregation, which consists of about 1,500 people. Uh, so that's, that's quite an undertaking, uh, quite a large task. So we, we feel 24 elders is about right for that, uh, for that purpose. 
We're looking for freshness. We're looking for uh, new vigor, new ideas. We, we want elders to help lead us into this next season of Highkirk and next generation. We are looking for a balance of generations, balance of old and, and younger, obviously. We're seeking freshness and vitality as we move forward as a church. Now, I know some folks will say, well, I know very few people at such a large church. There's a limit to the number of people I personally know, and that's totally fine. But of the ones that you do know within your friendship circle or life group or whatever, if the Lord is laying their name upon your heart, that's, that's fine. If you can't come up with eight names, again, that's fine. Uh, if you can't come up, come up with any, well, you just pray. Pray for the congregation. Pray for the eldership as they take this forward. But hopefully together as Kirk Session and congregation, uh, Presbyterian Church is very democratic. We always encourage people to have their say. So it is important that you play your part in this process and seek the Spirit's uh, help as we nominate over this, over this time. This morning, I want to share five important uh, points as we come into this season of looking for leaders. Five things for you to keep in your head, hopefully, and then as we preach again next, next Sunday. So, the first one is this. Leaders are important. And in the Bible, when we read through the Bible, that becomes very clear that leadership is important. Now, there are different kinds of leadership, of course. Uh, you, if you're a parent, actually, you're a leader because you're leading your children. Leaders are people of influence. Uh, if you're a school teacher or if you're a, a principal in a school or part of a senior management team, you are in a position of influence. You are a leader. But when it comes to uh, leadership in the church, of course, uh, it, it is a, a position of responsibility. Uh, it's important that we choose the right people. And we, we see in the Bible that whenever Paul and Silas or Barnabas were working around planting churches, one of the, the first things that they did was to establish a leadership, people of influence, godly people, who would oversee the church going forward, and especially whenever Paul would leave them again. It was important that he had this team of elders in place. This was partly based on the synagogue model where uh, Paul obviously was very familiar with this model, that in each synagogue there were those who were in leadership positions. Wherever people gather or form, an organization will always need leadership. It is the way things work as human beings. And so we need to be prayerful and discerning as we look for leaders for Highkirk. So leadership is important. Let's treat it with due seriousness. The second thing following on from this is that we see from the passage we read in Acts that plurality is important, that Paul and Silas didn't just appoint one leader in each church, they appointed a plurality. Now, that may have been two leaders or maybe three, four, five, six, we don't know, it doesn't say, but there is a principle here that there should be a plurality of leadership. There is no one-man ministry. Plurality provides a good sharing of giftedness. It provides a breadth of wisdom and discernment, and it helps share the responsibility. Certainly many times I have been grateful for the Presbyterian system of government because it means that I'm not making major decisions on my own. I wouldn't want to. And it's good to have elders who are praying through things and who help to share in what can be quite important decisions or making policy or shaping policy. 
So it's important to have that balance of leadership, that team who are praying and working and discerning together. So it doesn't all rest on one person. That's a, that's a tremendous burden to place on one person. Sometimes if uh, only one person is leading, inevitably what can happen is that decisions are made which reflect that one person's strengths or their interests or even their hobby horses. And so it's important that we have this balance, the team deciding together where God is leading us. In a Presbyterian church, although we have a team approach, we have a Kirk session with a number of elders, ultimately there, of course, is one leader of the leaders in a church situation. It is the teaching elder or the minister. Uh, if you were in a cabinet, say the United Kingdom uh, cabinet of, of government, you've got all these ministers, but you have the prime minister. Often there is one person who's giving the overall direction, the overall lead, who's setting the tone, as it were, and that's important. But ultimately, there is a plurality of leadership, and that is significant and important. And that leads us to the third uh, thing I want to emphasize today that follows on from the plurality, and that is that accountability is important. Accountability is important. Checks and balances are important when it comes to leadership. There is horizontal accountability, accountability across the leadership, and there is accountability vertically between the leadership and those they are leading. Now, within uh, Kirk's session, there is that horizontal accountability where the board or the session are keeping checks, I suppose you could say, on one another. Uh, I've read a number of books over the last couple of years, and unfortunately and sadly, even within the evangelical church in England and America, there have been a number of high-profile casualties of folks who have fallen, and a lot of that comes back to accountability, that there was a strong, charismatic leader, but the accountability was lacking, and the person indeed was not listening, listening to the accountability that was there, and it inevitably leads to, to, to disaster. So there needs to be this horizontal accountability, which is built in very strongly, actually, to the Presbyterian church. But not only is there the horizontal accountability, there is also the vertical accountability. And the vertical accountability, just for those of you maybe who are not particularly familiar with the Presbyterian Church or have maybe joined the church recently, there are different layers of accountability. The congregation is accountable to the Kirk session. Whenever you become a member of a church, and particularly when you become a communicant member of a church, you are implicitly saying, I want the eldership to have oversight of me. You are giving them the right and the privilege to come alongside you, maybe to intervene if there's an issue, maybe to encourage, and hopefully not, even to discipline. So leadership is important, plurality is important, and accountability is important. And so, in the Presbyterian setup, you've got the congregation who are accountable to the Kirk session, but then the Kirk session are accountable to the presbytery. Now, the Balamina Presbytery consists of about 30 congregations, and uh, they meet once a month, uh, a number of months in the year. And 
each congregation has their minister in presbytery plus a representative elder. So that's about 60 or 70 people in the room. And so the Kirk session is accountable to presbytery. It is the presbytery who will ordain and install elders in due course, like a washing machine, you install a washing machine, you install an elder. You will ins- it's the presbytery that does that. So I am accountable to presbytery. Elders are accountable to presbytery. There's a kind of a robust line of accountability. And then presbyteries are accountable to a third level or a third tier, which is the general assembly, and it meets once a year in Belfast. So it's very robust. It's a very strong method of accountability. And and to be honest, a lot of traditional churches have robust systems of governance. Now, of course, your strength is your weakness, Uh, whereas the Presbyterian church is very democratic, it's very robust in its accountability, the downside or the weakness of that can be that it's not particularly agile. It means that the church, maybe when it wants to change something or make a decision, by the time it goes through all the democratic layers, It can be very slow, it can be unwieldy, and sometimes people in the younger generation get a bit fed up and they say, why is this taking so long? So your strength is your weakness. Good accountability, but sometimes your agility and your your ability to move quickly or to change quickly is is not as good as it could be. Uh, Currently I'm involved in the process where we are um, redrafting or rewriting the code of the Presbyterian Church, the constitution of the church. And it's taken about six years. And some people think that's moving too quickly. And it may take a seventh year, it may even take an eighth year. We get a bit nervous when things move too quickly as Presbyterians. Just have to hold on. But there's a strength in that. There's a, a stability in that. So in terms of biblical leadership, leadership is important. Plurality is important because that brings accountability both horizontally and also vertically. And then fourthly, character is important. There are two main sections of Scripture where Paul outlines um, the criteria, I suppose you could say, of eldership. We've read one of them in Timothy, and there's another one in Titus. And the interesting thing about those two sections of Scripture is that it it, it tells you very little about what an elder actually does. Now, we will come to that next week. But the majority of those two sections of Scripture emphasize what an elder is to be. In other words, their character. Character is important. If I was to sum up the sort of person we are looking for in words beginning with H, it would be holy honest and humble, holy, honest and humble. We're looking for people of character and of Christ-likeness. As a leader in the church, you're always on display. You will not be perfect. There is no one perfect in the church, not even a minister or an elder. Sometimes you may have angry moments. Sometimes you will have lapses. Sometimes you will make mistakes. Sometimes you'll make wrong decisions. But the direction of travel, if you like, is Christ-likeness and displaying Jesus to others. We're looking for people of godly character, people who, if they are married, are faithful and solid and loving, people who, if single, are pure and respectable in how they live and deal with people. 
Spiritual leadership is not about the leader, it's about the people they're leading, and it's about leading people closer to Jesus. It is, of course, difficult to lead someone to a place where you have not personally been. So it's good that the person is spiritually mature. Uh, Paul, we read earlier, said, don't appoint a recent convert. Don't appoint someone who's spiritually immature, because what can happen is that as they're promoted to this level of eldership and leadership, it kind of goes to their head, and they become proud and arrogant and boastful. We're looking for people who are holy, people who are honest, people what you see is what you get, and people who are humble and will not abuse the authority that they have. The aim, as Paul says, is to form little Christs. Follow my example, Paul says, as I follow Christ. People ought to be able to look at our example and seek to follow it, for we are following Christ. In Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas are coming to the town of Lystra, they were looking for someone to join the leadership team or the mission. And they asked around the congregation, and the congregation said, it says this, it says in verse 2, the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. And so Paul took this on board, and he asked Timothy to join him on a missionary journey. So as the congregation, as we reflect over these next couple of weeks, who do you speak well of? A person who's holy, honest, and humble. Character is so important. And then fifthly and finally, a shared vision is important. We are seeking to appoint people to leadership in Highkirk. Now, whereas I suppose you could say generally anyone in leadership in any Christian church should have character, uh, should be a person of character and uh, want to see the mission of Jesus extending and the kingdom of, of Jesus extending. You and I know that whenever we're around different churches, they have, they have a different flavor. Some of them have different values or, or, or different emphases or priorities. And so it's great whenever we're looking for folks to be on session here in Highkirk, they, they are coming into alignment with the values of Highkirk. In Highkirk, Every member ministry is important. In Highkirk, mission and outreach is important. A modern outlook, a contemporary outlook is important. And an openness to the Holy Spirit is important. We are a word and spirit church. And so as we're looking for elders, we're looking for those who have that similar outlook, share those similar values. I want to emphasize this in a sense by, by leaving with you a picture, a picture of a flock of geese flying. You know that geese fly in a V formation, and you might say, well, why do they do that? Well, they do that because they've been made by, by God to do that, but those who have looked into these things have, have found something fascinating. We note that as each goose flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the bird who is following behind by flying in a V formation, and I'm not sure how they have worked this out, but by flying in a V formation, the flock adds 71% greater flying range than if the bird flew alone. 
A plurality of elders means that we fly better and we fly further. As we fly in formation and as we fly in alignment with the vision. When a goose falls out of the formation, it suddenly feels the tension. And the other geese feel the loss as well. They feel the drag and the resistance. The geese need to keep the vision together. And that's what we seek to do as Kirk Session and elders. Another interesting thing about the geese is that they honk at each other to encourage one another to keep going and to keep flying. So, elders, it is important to honk at each other in a nice way, in an encouraging way. Members of the congregation, it's important that you are honking at each other to encourage one another as we move forward in the vision. And again, that's positive honking we're looking for. Life is difficult. Leadership is difficult, and believe me, it's not getting any easier. But we look to our chief shepherd, who is Jesus. He is the perfect one. We are under shepherds. He is the shepherd. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the one who leads us into His vision and for His glory and to build His church. Not my church, not the elders' church. It is His church. And as we listen to the leading of the Spirit, He will help us to fly in formation. What a privilege to be part of a team of leaders listening to the over-shepherd, to the leader of leaders, the King of Kings. As someone once said, the local church is the hope of the world. What a privilege it is to be involved in leadership. And perhaps today you may think, well, that's not for me, but maybe it is for you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is going to be gently prodding you over this next week or two, prompting, urging you to consider seriously being a leader, being an elder in this church. So let's be open to that. Let's be open to who the Lord may be laying on your heart. So let's even just as the worship team come forward, let's even start that now as we just wait in silence as I lead us in prayer, asking the Spirit to lead us to these leaders. So Father, yes, as we wait in your presence, we ask Holy Spirit, that you might be laying upon our hearts, maybe names, bringing faces to mind, people to mind who could be leaders. Or maybe, Holy Spirit, you are prompting someone to consider leadership. We pray that over these days and weeks, that prompting would grow, that urging, that encouragement would grow clearer. And help us as a church in these days. Lord, we have come through a very good conference, but we recognize that this is a key season for the church. We recognize that the devil will seek a foothold. He will seek to draw us back. He will seek to discourage. He will seek to bring in tension. And so we pray for a unity, a unity of your Spirit as we move forward. So guide us in these days, in this important season, and may you have the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.